0: Welcome. I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the Book of Matthew. Today is episode 792. We're looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Let's read our passage. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do the people say that the Son of Man is?" They replied, "Some say John the Baptist; others, Elijah." Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. This is the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew is writing this gospel, this account of the ministry of Jesus, to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's given us this teaching, preaching, healing ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been in the area of Galilee. He's been up and down the coast of the Sea of Galilee. He's mostly been focused in the area of Capernaum. And now we're starting to see some branching out some. He made this little trip up to Tyre and Sidon to get away from things. They came back down, spent some time on the eastern shore in a Gentile area, crossed back over, had some interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees from Jerusalem. Then he crossed over the lake again in the area of Bethsaida, and they're heading north. So we pick it up in chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they're up in the area of Caesarea Philippi. That's like 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It is not Jewish area at all. It is a completely Gentile area. And it's the furthest north they ever go in his ministries. And from here, they'll start heading south, spend a little bit more time in Galilee, but really heading toward Judea. Now, did they actually go to the city of Caesarea Philippi? Doesn't say. It just says the region of Caesarea Philippi. And we don't see him interacting with any of the local people. It's just interaction with his disciples here. And here he gathers the disciples and asks them, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Nobody else calls him that. That's what he calls himself. And there's all kinds of questions. We talked about this of Why? Why does he use this? And I think it's specifically because there's not a lot of imagery tied to it. So he can use this as a Old Testament sounding title, but there's not a lot of public expectation that goes along with that because that's part of the problem is people are pouring their own understanding of expectations into him. And that's what he's asking now who do they say that I am? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So we've already seen the idea of John the Baptist. That was what Herod Antipas said, that this Jesus guy is John the Baptist, come back from the dead because he had had John the Baptist executed. Their ministries were somewhat similar to outside eyes, a strange holy man going around preaching about the coming of the kingdom of God. And so, some say he is carrying on the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, whether they're saying he's John the Baptist in the flesh, come back to life, or if he's just the new version of John the Baptist, it could mean either of those things. Others say Elijah. Now, there was an expectation of a return of Elijah. Again, whether it's Elijah himself come back, or somebody coming back in the the ministry of Elijah. We saw that come up back in chapter 11, when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. Chapter 11, verse 13 to 14, he said, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. So there, Jesus is saying John the Baptist was the Expected return of the prophet Elijah. Well, some say it's Jesus is the return of the prophet Elijah. It says, still others, Jeremiah. Now, why Jeremiah? Jesus quoted Isaiah a lot. Why not say Isaiah? Well, Jeremiah was, in popular opinion, the prophet of doom. He was the one saying, Judea is about to be overthrown by the Babylonians. It is too late. It's going to happen. God has already called for the overthrow of Judea. So he was not a very popular prophet. And he had this prophetic message of doom for Judea. And he was highly opposed by the local people because they didn't like his message. And so some say, hey, that's kind of like what Jesus here... He's very much opposed by the religious rulers, and he's got kind of a doom-sounding message. So, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So, Jesus says, you know, these guys got their ear to the ground. They know what's going on. And so, he asks what people are saying. But then, in verse 15, but you, he asks them, who do you say that I am? Now, the you here is plural. So, he's asking all of them as a group. He asked them what the people say as a group, and it says they replied as a group. So the group gave the answer. Now he's asking them as a group, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Jesus asked the group, Peter answers. Here we see a a shift in the gospel, a shift of who Jesus is, at least in the eyes of the disciples, and Peter's position. Here we see Peter really stepping out now as the leader of the group. So Jesus asks the group, who do you say I am? Peter provides the answer. Is he answering for himself only, or is he answering for the group? Doesn't say. We'll see later, just a few chapters, where Jesus is using similar language that he uses here individually with Peter. For the entire group. So they've been discussing who Jesus is. So I think they're all getting it, but Peter's the one who actually says it first here. You're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Now, some translations say you're the Christ. The gospel is written in Greek. And so the word the Greek word here is Christos. Christ means anointed one. The Hebrew Aramaic word is Messiah, and it means anointed one. So Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. They mean the same thing. Now, when you translate it, traditionally it's translated, It just left as Christ, the, the Greek word. But some modern translations actually now use Messiah because that's probably what he actually said. Probably Jesus was speaking Aramaic to them, and so he probably used the actual word Messiah. But then when Matthew writes the gospel in Greek, he used the word Christ. So for English translators, what do they use? To purely translate it, you would just translate it to anointed one. But traditionally it's been kept as Christ, but sometimes they do actually do as Messiah. It means the same thing. Verse 17 Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now here he's responding to Peter. Peter gave the answer, and so here he says, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And these you's are singular. He's speaking directly to Peter here. This goes back to what he was saying about disciples understand things, not because they're smart, but because things are spiritually revealed. He's saying, you didn't figure this out based on what people told you, but this has been revealed to you spiritually by my Father in heaven. Verse 18, he says and i also say to you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overpower it this verse and the following verse have been giving people trouble for a long time since it was written what does all this mean and there are a lot of arguments a lot of theories a lot of ideas and far from consensus so you can find A lot of scholarly articles written about this, and very few of them agree with one another. And and some of it goes back to the language issue. Were they speaking Greek at the time? Were they speaking Aramaic at the time? And then Matthew wrote this in Greek. That changes a lot of the meaning, because if they were speaking Aramaic, then Jesus said, I say to you that you are Cephas. And on this Cephas, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In which case, he's speaking directly to Peter here, and he uses the same word twice. But in the Greek, he says, I say to you that you are Petros, and on this Petros, I will build my church, where his name Peter is masculine and then rock is feminine. And people try to make a big deal of that. He's saying, You're Peter, the little rock and on this big rock, and is the rock referring to Peter, or is the rock referring to his statement of faith? I think he's speaking speaking to Peter here, and he's speaking directly to Peter, and Peter, you're the rock that I'm building my church on. Now, what does that mean? Peter is the leader. He's just stepping out here, and we see in this particular instance, Peter becoming the leader of the group. And from now on, he will be the leader of the group. He will be the leader of the early church. It'll be fairly soon in the book of Acts replaced by James as the leader of the church. But Peter is the leader of the disciples. And while Jesus himself is the foundation of the church, it's built upon the testimony of the disciples. So he says, I'll build my church. And when he says build my church, it doesn't mean build a building. The word here is not church. The word is ecclesia, which is Greek for assembly. But he probably didn't even say that. He was probably speaking Aramaic in which he said kahar, which is the Hebrew word for assembly, which goes all the way back to Mount Sinai. And it's never a building. It's always an assembly of people. So when he says, I'll build my church, he means I'll build the assembly of my people, the people of the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And there's division here. What does the gates of Hades mean? I believe it's a metaphor for death. Some say it's a a metaphor for demonic forces. Demonic forces will not overpower the church. I think he's saying that the church will not be constrained by death. Jesus conquers death. Then verse 19, another debated verse. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. You open four commentaries, and they will say four different things and say, obviously, it can't mean what the other three said. So this is now one of these areas that is very hard to understand. We read this and say, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. Some say there's an Old Testament picture here of the steward, who is basically the keeper of the storehouses to provide all the things needed. They have the keys to the storehouse. Others say, no, it's more the idea of the keys for entrance and exit. I'm a, a simple guy, and, and the way I have come to understand this in my own mind, is I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? How do you get in to the kingdom of heaven via the gospel? And Jesus has given the gospel to the disciples, and that's the mechanism for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Binding and loosing, in rabbinical thought, it comes down to basically declaring what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. In my simple understanding, the way to understand this is what you do with the gospel has eternal significance. If you share the gospel with others and they receive the gospel and turn to Christ, they will be saved for eternity in heaven. If people do not hear the gospel or reject the gospel, then they will be lost for eternity in hell. And so what you do with the gospel, the keys, has eternal significance. What we do with the gospel here and now, in this life, has eternal significance. And and that's the way I understand this passage. Verse 20. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. My big question here is why? Why is he keeping it a secret? Well, it's not that he's keeping a secret. I think it goes back to why is he call himself the Son of Man? I think it's because there's a lot of misunderstanding. We'll see in the next episode when Jesus says he's going to die and Peter says, no, you're not. Peter doesn't understand what the Messiah means. Peter's come to the understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, but he still doesn't have a full grip on what that actually means and how that's going to play out. So I think that's the issue is if people run around saying Jesus is the Messiah, they're immediately going to want to make him king because the Messiah is going to fix all their ills. And he's not ready for that yet. So they've come to the realization through a long, hard process that Jesus is the Messiah. But don't throw that label around. Let others come to that realization too. Now, we haven't seen Messiah yet much. We've seen it a few times. Back in Matthew 1, there were four verses where Matthew used the term Messiah, but he's using it editorially. This is the story of Jesus the Christ. Then in chapter 2, where Herod asks the scribes, where will the Christ be born? And then in chapter 11, Matthew provides a commentary and John the Baptist has heard what the Christ was doing. So this is the first time we've seen somebody in the story actually apply it to Jesus. This makes a significant shift in the direction of the gospel, where we're now seeing people actually applying the word Messiah or Christ to Jesus. And we're seeing Peter coming out as the leader of the disciples. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time. So continue working through Matthew.